Welcome to No Sidekicks, a Magicians Rewatch podcast where we'll be discussing every episode of The Magicians in order and with lots of feelings. I'm Dara. I'm Olivia. And And let's get into it. We don't have a lot to say at the top today, so here's the episode. Source of Magic, second episode of season one, and it was written by Sarah Gamble, directed by Scott Smith, and first aired January 25th, 2016. Almost two months after the first episode. Just kidding. Just over a month. Probably, yeah. And we were discussing this before, but for the for the folks at home, you know, we all know how it goes. You launch a TV show, you test it, you put one episode out there. And then you go, how did the public like it? And then it's the holiday season. So they just skip over the holidays and they say, good luck to next year. I mean, if you think about it, The Magicians is not a holiday friendly show, as evidenced by the end of episode one and the beginning of episode two. Yeah. (laughs) Merry Christmas. The Dean doesn't have eyes. (laughs) How did you feel about this episode? It is so overwhelming immediately. So episode one They smashed everything they possibly could. Every character, every exposition, every setting that we're going to visit probably in this season was in episode one. And then in the first three minutes of episode two, they do a bunch of like traumatic flashes from Quentin and I think Penny's perspective. And I found myself pausing so much and it didn't help. My Netflix was also really not cooperating. So I'd pause it and it would pause like, you know, 30 seconds after I tried to. And so it was just a disorienting couple of minutes for me and that's like because of the episode and then the reality of which I live uh <laughs> what <did you> think? <laughs> I mean it's definitely meant to be disorienting which you know it, it was not meant for somebody to like pause repeatedly and analyze and write down everything that happens which of course is what I did <laughs> just trying to like process the cut scenes and the cut it's actually like split into two parts the first set of cut scenes and in the classroom and then we go to the warehouse with pete and julia and then we cut to the classroom again for a bunch of cut scenes so like the first half it's like i don't know what's happening i'm trying to follow along like who broke the mirror who cast the spell what's going on um, and then the second set of cut scenes you're like piecing it together where you're like oh, okay like alice is magicking the moths away and penny broke the mirror after the beast went back in it and katie got attacked it was a lot katie did battle magic and this is the first time we hear that phrase which i love and the magicians like has given me the language that i think a lot of other fantasy series lack where literally battle magic is such a satisfying phrase it is (laughs) and it's so and it's exactly what it is and seeing katie do that was so cool and her attitude when she's being interrogated is so cool. It's just, it's it's like what you said, it's disorienting and then very satisfying to see how it plays out. Um, but also none of it makes any sense if we're coming off of episode one. Aren't these all new magicians? These are all new magicians, but I mean, it doesn't, so unlike Quentin and Julia, it doesn't mean that they didn't know magic to exist. Like Penny has been hearing a voice in his head. Like he's known magic has existed for quite some time. We get the reveal later that Elliot realized he was telekinetic when he was 14. Um, Clearly Katie knows some magic. 
She knows some stuff. She's not just there to like fuck Penny and be a cool girl who's sassy to the teachers. We love to see it, but that's not all she is about. She's clearly very talented and knows knows some shit above her pay grade. Yeah, she contains multitudes. But it it gives a little bit of a moment, right? Because we've got this, I guess we'll call her the acting dean, this this blonde lady. Her name is revealed later. Okay. I missed it. I will drop it when I find it in my notes. She's interrogating them, kind of asking, you know, why why is this happening why did the beast know your name quentin and how do you know battle magic newbie katie so it's interesting because the magicians as a fantasy world is establishing that there are different levels of magic from the get-go of which these people have been entered into this grad school like learning facility they still have varying degrees of magic but the head magician at this school still thinks it's suspicious, which is interesting because we already kind of think that, I mean, Q is maybe not the most reliable narrator. He doesn't have the best self-esteem. And then we've got a group of people who are kind of messing around with, uh, you know, summoning a dead person. Casually. Yeah, casually, as you do. So, of course, we're kind of supposed to be suspicious of them as well, but... They're our main characters, so are we supposed to like them? That's one of my favorite tropes is, do you like the main character? That's the, or are you supposed to? I was actually just listening to a podcast about this yesterday. (laughs) Um, Shout out to Lonnie Diane Rich over at Chipperish Media. She has a multitude of fabulous podcasts, but I was listening to the podcast How Story Works which is essentially a college level course that is free talking about narrative theory and elements. And she was talking about whether your main character had to be likable and uh, how a lot of people get hung up on the concept of like, Oh, your character's not really likable. It's when in actuality that doesn't matter. Like you can have an unlikable character that fucking rocks. What matters is can you connect to your character? Like people often mistake an unlikable character for a character they actually can't connect with, that they can't identify a vulnerability with. And I feel like we're going to, we're going to probably fight about this a little bit later. I feel (laughs) like at this point in the show, most of these characters, whether they're likable or not, have expressed some sort of vulnerability by the end of this episode and we are able to connect with a lot of them. Mm -hmm. They're not all likable. And like, oh, sometimes they are and sometimes they aren't. Like Penny, for instance, like Mm -hmm. the very, uh, I'm a bite you before you bite me, tough guy attitude thing that he goes on. Like most of the time that works for me. And then like (laughs) later in the episode, when he's like in the infirmary with Quentin, we're skipping around a little bit today. (laughs) He's in the infirmary with Quentin and they're talking about Emerson's alloy, which he was like, couldn't even identify to begin with. He was like, this crystal bonked. And it's like, now he's all cocky about it. He's like, real magicians protect themselves. I'm like, you got that from your girlfriend. She had to tell you what it was. She had to find it for you. But because Quentin is here, you're all acting like a badass. And I yeah. hate it. It's, a pr- it's pretty gross. Yeah. It's like, he's really um, just trying to show off to Q. And it's like, you do not need to do that. Like, let, let's remind everyone who Q is. (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, no, I, I'm not a fan of that personality in general. That does not ever work for me. And it like, works, it works I, for me in fiction. It works for me. No, in no, no, for, for sure. But for Penny, I, I do like him. And in general, I find him to be an interesting character, but I guess like there's this, we should parse it apart. Is your character likable because you want to be friends with them or are they likable because they're well-rounded and you're like, oh, I like how this character is like a fully formed, developed character. I Do you like a character because you want to be friends with them or do you like a character because you can have sympathy for them? When it comes to Penny, he, you know, he's very, he's, he's the Alex Karev of this universe, at least the first season Alex, where he's just like, taking what he can get being cocky when he can, can when he can um and just you know being a bully but he we find out like he's been hearing voices he's had to deal with so much in his life he well he's been hearing a voice um he's been betrayed by that voice he's had to manage a lot he's had to use drugs to self-medicate and deal with the, his issues like there is sympathy for penny that i have um, and I'm like excited to explore more of from what we know up through this episode. They're definitely putting every different kind of archetype of character in a box and then just shaking it and going, yes, what's going to happen? Yes. <laughs> I have sympathy for every character so far with the exception of Margot. Oh, well, Margot has had like no scenes so far, right? Margot has had no scenes and the scenes we've had with her, I haven't been able to get a read on. For instance. I have something to say about this. Okay. Um, or you know what? I, I don't know. Let's wait till we get there because I want to really get into it when we get to her big scene with Alice. Yep. Because it can be read two different ways and that's why I struggled to connect with Margot and that's why I she's the only character who I don't actively care about at this point. We have our classroom scenes. They are very stressful. We basically don't know anything. <laughs> we don't know anything because Q doesn't know anything. And right now Q is our POV. And it's it's a lot. It's it's a lot to take. We have the brief scene in the warehouse with Pete and Julia, where he explains how like that she can earn her star tattoos too. And he introduces <laughs> her to his associates and then locks them in the locker. And that's all we see of them for a bit. We go back to the classroom. We have a better idea of what happens here. And we find out Q can materialize objects, which is a big deal. So cool, right? So cool. So interesting. Did you clock <laughs> <laughs> where the pocket watch came from? I mean, it was in the Dean's pocket. Wait, was it from another part? From episode one, the very first scene where Eliza sticks the clock in his in his pocket, oh my sticks God. the pocket watch in his pocket, and was like, just in case. I'm making a face. You can't see it because it's an audio medium, but I'm <laughs> making a face. I did not pick that up. But you know who did? Quentin Coldwater. <laughs> well, I mean, he didn't know it came from her, but he did hear Fog take it, and he did see a pocket watch and was like, guess I got to press this button. And he does. And it's basically from what I can tell, all it does is unfreeze everybody in the classroom. Yeah. 
there's a lot of layers to this scene, right? Because it's not like, oh, click this button and then everything is fine. It's, okay, now everyone's unfrozen. The beast is still here. And then there's a lot of stuff that happens. Yes. In order of events, you know, Hugh gets his mouth covered and the beast says, let's nip this in the bud very important mm. uh fog says quentin take this he materializes the watch he clicks it everybody's able to run away katie chooses not to she fires off the battle magic uh we see the beast who was thrown back after the pocket watch was clicked attack katie makes her smash her head penny looks up in a panic and then the moths start falling away and we see alice casting uh, she's making the moths disappear he backs in the mirror whispering a very very snake-like stop it and then penny throws the chair into the mirror and breaks it we go back to the professor whose name is professor sunderland by the way um who explains that they live in a world of many worlds and that there are wards and shields to protect break bells. They are going to be reset and whoever was responsible for the summoning will be expelled. And also there will be a quiz on Wednesday. Rude. You know, the question of if your professor dies, do you get out of like your grades for the rest of the semester? The answer at break bells is no. You get a day and a half off. (laughs) And you'll be interrogated in the meantime. So <clears throat> this sets up the the highest stakes in terms of what Q has been fretting about all of episode one, which is I have gotten entry into this magical world and I need to stay. And by them saying, okay, if you, he just broke a big rule. And if they find him out, he's going to get that one thing that he has been holding on to taken away from him uh never mind that they were almost killed but you know it give, it's giving uh hermione we could be killed or worse expelled that's the exact feeling <laughs> well i will say there is a nice moment where q is like great you can stop them from wiping my memory but can you help me live with the guilt of mm-hmm. this professor dying yeah um, so yes, the stakes are raised. Yes, Q is mostly focused on how they will affect him. But he's definitely genuinely affected emotionally from this, not just of what the consequences could be, but of what the quant- consequences already have been. The fact that somebody died because of a spell he cast. Mm-hmm. Also, not knowing why it happened. Like that, I think, would be... A bigger thing, well, not a bigger thing to eat at you than somebody dying, but, like, because you don't know what happened, you can't really, I don't want to, like, backpedal a death here. You can't (laughs) justify what happened. Um, But more so, you can't, like, understand what went wrong so nothing goes wrong again. Yeah, and I also think, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, and because I've seen the show, I have an advantage, It's weird to me that they wouldn't go, hey, Alice, you don't know how your brother died. Is that what happened to your brother? Like, that is not a point of conversation at all in this. From whom? Like, you think a professor would pull her aside? I feel like Q would come to that conclusion, right? Like, he would be like, hey, we were trying to summon your brother. Did we do it wrong and summon the wrong person? 
or did we summon your brother and that's your brother and that that is am i wrong that's not like a conclusion that they have come to like that's a possibility that is not a conclusion they have come to that that could be him and i'm wondering if that's lazy writing but we'll see um (laughs) i'm going to say here's my guesstimate charlie probably died when he was like between 20 and 25 and i don't think this humanoid creature necessarily gave the impression of 20 to 25 i think because of like the suit they dressed in him in and the vibrato in his voice it just it just they distinctly were like oh and british not make this yeah an option but i do agree that it's something that like if i was actively living in this world i would be like hey we have to put this on the table <laughs> right well so here this is fun olivia we're having the same conversation that alice and quentin have in the show because <laughs> he is like logically fillory cannot exist and then he goes around in a circle and he's like so fillory could exist and she's like that's insane and he's like we literally are magicians and that's kind of this like circle where it's like we cannot eliminate this as an option and so that's why i'm like is it lazy writing like they didn't even they didn't even have a line to to suggest it um which feels like with all of these extremely logical characters, they would at least consider it. <laughs> and then maybe say, oh, I don't know, it seemed like a, a man who was much older than my brother. To which I would say, well, couldn't something have happened to him to rapidly age him? See, we could go on forever. It's a little yeah. bit, we gotta put a stop to it. <laughs> and this is where, the, maybe it's not lazy writing. Maybe they wrote to it and then they said, we're going down a rabbit hole, we've gotta let it go. And then they made a choice. And I I can respect that if that's what happened. It's a coin toss either way. (laughs) Yes. They're like, you're getting lost in the plot. You just got to move forward. Yeah. And it's very intense, uh, which is why I don't mind the quiz line, even though it's very rude. Uh, (laughs) uh, Because it's kind of like this moment of LOL, real world levity. (laughs) Classes are canceled. There will be a quiz. Um. After, you know, the core, I'm, I'm going to call them the core four, even though there's more people in this cast, but they are the core four freshmen. So the core four leave and disperse. Alice and Q try to talk about it. And then Margot and Elliot come up and scurry them away for a drink at the cottage. They pick them up like they're their parents. And I am <laughs> screaming about it. They're like, oh, hey. And I'm just, I can't believe, like, what was happening? <laughs> I always want to know what's happening with Elliot and Margot more than anyone else. <laughs> it's, it's a very precious characterization. They're just like, yeah, they're they're the party parents, though. They're like, oh, <laughs> let's get you a drink. You didn't tell me you were dangerous. Let me get you with a dress <laughs> that I think would show off your boobs. <laughs> oh, yeah. We get to the cottage, which uh, is one of my favorite sets I love this. I love this. I, the glowing to the like glass bar, the wallpaper. I love this little, oh, it's so cute. Um, Elliot, <laughs> Elliot does his Avada Kedavra, which is just 
so fun just like pointing fun at themselves in this universe but also showing that in this magical universe like the pop culture of the other magical universes exist yes it's precious um Alice tries to leave Margo pulls her aside to go upstairs um and then we cut to Elliot and Hugh on the patio uh where they have the very intense conversation where Q is panicking about getting kicked out, but also feeling terrible about being responsible for somebody dying. And uh, yeah, we basically get the, the concise uh, vulnerability motivation behind Q. It's amazing. I'd survived this long, not knowing I was a magician. I can't go back. This scene is so, so, so much. And rewatching it, I forgot how intense it is immediately between the two of these characters. It's a good intense, though. It's a, like, we need with everything, I'm going to be talking about vulnerability a lot in this show, but, like, with all of the world building we're doing, we don't want our characters and our connection to the characters to get left behind. And so, like, this moment of vulnerability is really important. Um, Also, because Q's our POV character, like, he needs to have somebody to talk to for us. Obviously, he's not talking to Julia right now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he and Alice don't have a lighthearted relationship. So he's confiding in Elliot, and it's nice, and it's extra nice because Elliot confides back. Um, he does all of the other things to avoid doing that. He tries to write him the spell. He tries to not let the conversation get too serious. And then when he's ready to, it gets serious fast. Yep. <laughs> Something dark and scary. Ready? Good. I killed someone. <laughs> I love the delivery there. There's no time for you to consider it. Here is my vulnerability. Take it. Well, Q's driving factor, he survived the song without knowing he was a magician magician and can't go back to not knowing what magic is. But like what it really comes down to is he can't go back to not belonging. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't feel like he belonged anywhere before. He didn't feel like he had a place in the world. He didn't feel like he had a purpose. He feels like he has all those things here. And this is Elliot telling him, not only are you not alone community wise, but you're not alone in the feelings you're feeling. He doesn't even try it. Like he, he says, I'm, I'm, no, no, God, it doesn't get better. I'm not trying to tell you it gets better. I'm trying to tell you you're not alone. I'm trying to tell you that you're not the only one in pain. Your pain is shared. Yeah. And that's huge. That's huge. It's, and we're only on episode two. Yeah. Like that is a huge thing to see two characters connect on that level and say, I am equally feeling the guilt of a death of someone that I am responsible for. It is, yeah, it's a great scene. But we also get, I think, one of the tropes that I I think we've been dancing around since episode one, which is magic doesn't come from talent, it comes from pain. And we're seeing that from episode one with Fog trying to scare the magic out of Q. And immediately what is happening to Julia It already happened to her in the bar and it is happening to her again in this ice, in the, in the, what is it? An ice meat locker. A meat locker. An ice room. An ice room. I don't have the words. Tag Um, yourself if you never cried in a walk-in, Dara. (laughs) Hey, I worked in retail, not food services. We all picked one journey. (laughs) So the meat locker. Yes. And it's kind of funny that, that Elliot is kind of giving this thesis statement on magic while the B plot is Julia with Marina 
in the meat locker. It's it's like they're it's like they're poking fun at Julia. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that because after that we get to the the meat locker scene where like Pete where they find the dead body and Pete is annoyed with them taking so long, so he animates the body and. Uh, we get that nude chase scene. Then the body gets impaled. Is it dead? Yeah, mm-hmm, but it was dead already. So <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's interesting here. We find out later why it says why it happens this way. But Pete specifically, I feel like, talks to Julia here and not Marina. He's he's like, you want magic or not, Julia? Like Marina is irrelevant. <laughs> and then they find the temporary warmth spell in the body bag really great great placement uh it's like the worst escape room ever and for sure it is a trial and i think julia knows it as soon as that it's happening and she's mostly angry and i really like julia as a character because i think if it was going to be if i was going to be in this world i would be julia and she's clinging on to magic like the stakes are just as high for her as it is for q right they're like parallel protagonists right now neither of them are quite i guess q is technically the antagonist right now to julia's protagonist but they're both protagonists in the greater whole of this episode Mm-hmm. It's interesting because we know how much Julia is clinging to magic, but for the whole first half of this episode, she is playing it rather cool, which I don't get. I don't know if that's to like up her like confession later, but they're very much forcing her to choose magic and to commit to magic in like this very weird way. Like, Before they get locked in the meat locker, she's like, oh, I'm here to see if something interesting happens. What about you? And Marina's like, I'm here to fucking do magic. What? (laughs) And then like the same thing kind of when they're in the locker, she and Marina keep kind of bickering in the same sense and in that she's getting pushed to claim magic. Like, oh, you seem a little Ivy League. Like, did you just decide to do magic at your last blowout? Like, it's very much implied that... Julie is here on a whim and it's it's very strange that Julie is kind of going with that until she's forced to say like yeah I was Ivy League and like have you heard of break bills it's the Ivy League of magic and it's it's like okay but they're but they're not right like I feel I feel like Julia is um so you said she's playing it cool ironically in the meat locker um but I think she's nervous to give information to marina she doesn't know who she is she's like they're obviously not getting along and julia i think feels very isolated and alone and now is in this situation where she's being tested and q has rejected her after revealing that she still knows what's going on and he's not going to help her and so now i think she's keeping everything very close and when she reveals what she knows about break bills and Marina is like, Oh my God, that's crazy. She feels like some sort of camaraderie between the two of them. It's when she can only be vulnerable when Marina kind of acts offended on Julia's behalf. Right. Yeah. And Marina though is like doing nothing. She's contributed nothing in the She's escape She's doing room. nothing now. And the fact that Julia is not, picking up on that is really hilarious because that means that she must be the like I'm in the group project and I'm doing everything 
kind of kid. <laughs> oh, she 100% is. Although that kid also does 100% notice that people are doing nothing. No, agreed. But she's just not saying it. Um, yeah. 100% relatable. We are both that kid <laughs> um yeah the first time I watched this episode I was like okay for somebody who's been like I'm here to do magic I've been studying online for years blah 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 you're doing nothing mm-hmm. it's a very like thin I don't know persona it's not it's not convincing and we all know why we've seen the end of the episode yeah it, it pays off I would say it pays off enough later but it definitely is you're just like annoyed with her you're like why is she here yeah and the the line is pretty satisfying I'm head bitch in New York oh so good wish I could use that on a daily basis it's not actually relevant I don't have any skills that put me at the top of anything but <laughs> um also just before we move on from this I do want to say that head witches are set up very much like a multi-level marketing scheme or like I don't know a lot about Scientology but this is what it feels like they're like here get these tattoos with levels it, it feels like there's going to be a pamphlet thrown out at any point yeah and I will say that I, I do like um I do like that kind of inherent untrustworthiness of it yeah we're we're not meant to be down with this <laughs> it, well it's because it's the it's unconventional magic and conventional magic right so yeah. we're supposed to learn it in school we're not supposed to learn it in literally a warehouse yeah. um and this is going to be a theme that we're going to talk about all the time yeah it, it's know. a messy one and i don't love it but i do like the what it's doing for our characters i do like that uh that julia doesn't trust it but she wants she just wants it so bad she doesn't care that she doesn't trust yep oh wow okay so let's go back to margo's room oh boy so this scene is like a lot right so it comes right after um elliot and quentin scene yes i i have in my note margo alice girls time uh it's not that fun though it's not a sing-songy great friend thought i wish it was funner no um it feels I'm going to say, so they're just sitting on, on Margot's bed talking. That's the scene. The first time I watched it, I don't think I had this feeling, but watching it again, I was like, Margot was interrogating Alice for information. And 100%. a completely different situation than what we just saw with Elliot and Q, where they're connecting, they're relating, they're really kind of being very vulnerable with each other and Alice we know is like a really frenetic character she's very she has a lot of trauma she's already admitted to a lot of that there's a lot of I don't trust anyone in her and then Margot has made a lot of assumptions based on what she knows about Alice and that kind of comes up here for sure it's her she uses that to try to get in but also immediately takes her cues from Alice like there's nothing genuine about it it's not authentic it's not even false you can do this in like not full sentences uh you might be familiar with some crazy shit because your family my family's not mine too pointless and toxic that's not what she said but okay um and then we get to the there's we learn from Margot that Alice never took the entrance exam that she was not even invited, even though she, in the previous episode, we found out like, oh, she's like the prolific smart girl. Now we found out she wasn't even invited. So what the fuck's that about? Mm -hmm. uh, just walked right in. It's easy. We're in the Bermuda Triangle of upstate New York. 
I still, uh, there are alumni keys, they're unstealable. I stole one. I just wanted to go to school. And that's also where we're like, no, you don't. No, you didn't just want to go to school. So we know overtly Alice is lying. Yep. Margo, we don't know if Margo's lying, but we know that she's very much playing off of Alice here. And it's, it's definitely an interrogation. It's definitely her trying to be like, is Alice dangerous? But there are those like little vulnerability cues where they're talking about parents and stuff. And it's, it's like, what is happening with Margot? She says, I feel, I just want to be your friend. And Alice says, I don't feel like you do. Like, I can't tell if Margot is motivated by fear or by knowledge or by you know by competition like she knows how talented Alice is and she knows that she didn't get invited in and clearly she and Elliot are like power players of the upper class Mm -hmm. so like what what is the motivation here it definitely took me multiple watches for me to be like there's there's fear there like she's asking these questions she wants to know what Alice knows right but it just still feels like such a strange way to play it. Like it, it just, I just, I want to be your friend. I think we have to keep a pin on this too, because this feels different than what I remember of Margot's character overall, right? This moment felt so off to me because I kept thinking, hmm, so we got an interrogation at the top of the episode from acting Dean and now we've got Margot essentially doing the same thing. And I kept thinking, oh my God, she's working for the Dean. Like she's a little spy and she's bad at her job. Interesting. But that doesn't come up. That, that no. doesn't come up. That's not actually what happened. So then it's like, it's confusing, right? Because that is the only rational motivation I could think of for why she'd be doing such a poor job interrogating Alice. And then, yeah, like what else could she possibly gain from this conversation? <sighs> Well, I I agree. What else could she gain from this conversation other than like information that Alice did know what was happening and is actually like threat level midnight Yeah, or that she's friends with Alice. Like those are the two things. And those are like, neither of them feel correct. And it's especially important because so far, all we have seen is Margot and Elliot play off each other, clearly having a very intimate dynamic, a very, um, performancey silly dynamic and Margot telling Q Alice's backstory and you know calling her over and theoretically bullying her but I feel I still don't feel like that was a strong enough argument there she just invited the girl over and this is the second time she's reaching out to her um there was definitely pretense with the dress and the and this whole conversation. It's just all so weird. Well, they're drinking a bottle of wine on her bed. Yeah. And that's how girls bond, right? Like that's... <laughs> Margot, I think, is probably used to making friends in a very specific way. And I don't think Alice has friends. Exactly. And that's part of why the scene is so awkward. But I feel like it's not meant to be as awkward as it is. I, I think we have to follow up on this because the payoff of this is not in that in this episode because we don't see them. Well, no, no, the payoff of it is not in this episode. You're right. I hate it. I, it's it's frustrating. I do agree. I know we have to move on. I just uh, it's frustrating. They're so powerful. You can feel the power from these two women sitting on this bed together. 
and you're just like, there's sparks, not like mm, they're on a bed together sparks. I mean, yes, but like yeah. not, those are not the predominant sparks. The predominant sparks are, <laughs> you can tell these are two of the like most powerful women that we've met so far. Sans Katie throwing battle magic. And it's like, they both have their guards so far up. Yep. And it's, it just makes it hard to watch. It's not a bad scene, but it makes it a frustrating scene because you just want the guards to go down. <laughs> it's kind of a fun um, parallel, though, because I'm thinking about it, and Q and Elliot both being way more vulnerable kind of goes against the stereotype because Penny is a great example of what I think hypermasculine men are supposed to be, and he probably wouldn't admit to something to another man so readily like Elliot and Q did. And I'm talking about this in like general societal things. I, that's how it's perceived. The two pairings are a wonderful foil of each other in terms of like openness and connectivity and friendship. And the, yeah. the girls who you were like, oh, of course they would just immediately be friends are like, <laughs> you thought. <laughs> so Ugh, that reminds me. <laughs> For any Dawson's Creek fans out there, I think it's the season two uh, opener. Um, it's right after Joey and Dawson have first kissed. And you get Joey and her sister are fixing up a car, being very like, Joey's like, I don't know, it was a kiss. I don't want to talk about it. I didn't like, feel things. And Dawson and, and Pacey are getting their hair done in a salon and are like, there were stars, there were fireworks there was this beautiful moment during this kiss <laughs> and it's 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 kind of like the same thing happening here except much much darker <laughs> but a good a good gender role juxtaposition you are correct moving on um we get our scenes with just katie and penny um katie pet catches penny leaving and is like you know, fighting with him. I, I really like the line of like, if you're guilty, I'm guilty. You're guilty. Uh, there's no messing around there. You expect him to come for her and he doesn't. He doesn't. He's in the same spot as Quentin. Like he doesn't know how to live with the guilt of that. Mm. We also get the reveal that like, he doesn't have voices in his head. He's not the self, the proclaimed mind slut that Katie thought he was. He has one voice. And it was presumably the Beast's voice. Oh, the amount of anxiety I got just hearing him say that. And Katie's realization, like, understanding of that. Mm. Yeah. Not, not great. I can't, I can't even get into it because I'll get into spoilers. But, like, ooh, that is rough. It's a lot. And, and when he says that he was duped, I, I wonder to what extent he understands that like was he duped like oh he was duped into helping uh alice and quentin bring this guy here or he was duped in the sense that this was the guy talking to him his whole life and protecting him but really was some evil bitch it's a different kind of gross gross betrayal your imaginary friend is uh, a murderer yeah <laughs> Leading the anti-moth agenda, which is not great to find out. Not great. Katie does a good job of uh, convincing him to stay. It's not the logic, though, that convinces him to stay, where where she's like, it's a gold mine here. Why would you leave the one place with experts to help you? Mm. It's the, plus I'm here and I'm amazing. 
yeah and then they're like they pan out and her outfit is amazing and i'm like yeah yeah like i the first time i watched this season i was obsessed with the way they dressed her yeah i love like high low stuff and i love um like hooded things and cutoffs and i was oh I would have killed for Katie's wardrobe in 2016. Yeah. Um, not literally, since we're actually talking about murder in the show. But <laughs> I really wanted to be dressed like Katie, and I would still wear some of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so she's like, I'm amazing. If you're going to leave anyway, come do something stupid with me. And we're all like, okay, okay, they're going to hook up again. Right. But they don't. They go back to the cottage, and Katie steals a bunch of stuff. Which, which we don't quite understand why at first um, comes clear later with Marina, but she steals some books. She clearly already knows where this stuff is sitting. She takes the alloy and gives it to Penny, which very interesting that she believes Penny is worth giving it to. Um, clearly, they are both very attached to each other already. Mm-hmm. Um, she does give this really good line, though, like, you can't run away from you. I think um, that is something that is threaded throughout this whole episode. Like, you can't run away from the fact that, like, he's a magician, he has depression, and he's a nerd. All of those things are true at once. Being a magician doesn't mean he's not a nerd anymore. Mm-hmm. He has to kind of integrate all of these parts of himself. Um Alice has to integrate all of these parts of her where she's doing some lying and clearly wasn't invited to the school and has some healing to do. All of the characters have to, I feel like the only, we don't know much about Elliot at this point, but he has clearly done some integration with himself. Like he, hmm. he has done some work there and it, it's, you can see that. I think most of the freshmen are struggling. Julia is struggling with this as well. Uh, just a good line, very simple. Can't run away from you. Um, and then Alice and Q run into Penny and, um, oh, you know what? We missed a scene. We missed a scene. Yeah. We missed the um, bisexual commons and the weird dream catcher room. Sorry, is it really called the bisexual commons? It is not called the bisexual commons. I don't know what you would call this. It's just like a common room area, but the lighting is like pink, purple, Um, and blue. mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually, you know what? It is a lighter pink. I wrote bisexual commons, and then later I changed (laughs) my notes to trans commons because it's like (laughs) blue, white, and pink lighting. I write my notes rather quickly, and I was just like, trans commons, that's the location. Alice is creeping on Q, reading a fillery book. Uh, he calls it research, and she's like, LOL, it's a kid's book. Ugh, the scene kills me. It's like, it's my nightmare, and it's also Q's nightmare, right? Like, this is something he clearly cares a lot about. They're literally in a school for magic, and she's like, kid stuff. Ew! Like, Alice, this is why you don't have friends. <laughs> I will say she, I mean, she calls it a children's book, but she she does refer to it as fantasy. And I think that's important that she distinguishes it as such, not just a children's book, because she said, when I was a kid, the last thing I wanted to do was read fantasy. And we know that she grew up in a magical family. Uh, she does claim her parents didn't teach her stuff or any of that, but like clearly she was around magic and knew of the magic world. So um, in this sense, we... 
get another character other than Elliot who knew about magic before Break Bells. Right. And that she inherently was like, I don't, I get enough of this and I don't want my fiction to be about that too. Right. I think that's an important character trait. Uh, it's it's like a very minor reveal, but I like it. Um, but I agree with the sense of what we talked about earlier. Like you, your magic exists, and thus you can't write anything off for not being real. Right, right. Isn't it just like kind of like eliminating a sense of wonder? Like Alice is so caught up in the the logic of things that she's just like, nope, not possible. And I'm like, yo, anything is possible. <laughs> Last week, none of this was possible. Well, we don't actually know what her home life was like. She didn't, all she said was my parents are crazy people who didn't teach me magic, but we know her parents are magicians. So like, we don't know what any of that was like. Maybe she was surrounded by so much crazy fantastical craft that she was like, I just want to read about math. Like, I don't want to think about any of this. I need to count myself side of my family who whatever whatever her parents are she clearly does not like them so her wanting to be like I don't want to read anything that makes me think of this crappy life I'm having I guess I think that makes sense but what I think what I'm trying to allude to is the fact that um she's dismissive over Q's suggestion that Fillory could be real given the top of the episode acting Dean is like we are a world in many worlds. She is dismissive, but she doesn't say it's impossible. She says that she keeps reiterating, like, that's a big leap. And she also doesn't have any, like, Quentin emphasizes, like, all this is common knowledge. Why the fuck don't you know this? <laughs> Let's go watch a video on this so I don't have to explain it to you. Right. Um, I did say Dreamcrasher room earlier. What I meant to say was Windchime AV room. What the fuck is this room? No, no, no. But, like, why doesn't Q have a phone? Like, what happened? We what said set design? <laughs> it's 2016, and I'm suddenly thrown back to 1998, and we're watching Bill Nye the Science Guy in a science classroom on a TV that's connected to the wall like it's you know on a table top, isn't it a laptop it is but why are they watching this video on... true like they definitely have smartphones right but maybe they don't have a good data plan it's even on a web page that is not youtube it's like this whole conspiracy theory page it goes yeah. from like Q being like, oh, Fillory could be real to being like, here's the conspiracy theory about the chat wins. Everyone knows about it. Alice, why don't you know about it? And it is just a, such a silly, silly scene. Clearly equivalent to PBS documentary on Christopher Plover <laughs> and uh, the Fillory series. Yeah, it's it's very funny. The documentary is called Fillory and Further, The Real Story. Um, I do like how he's the way he reacts to her and he's like, how do you not know this? Stakes are high. They're both too panicked to get kicked out to even keep talking about it. So they're like, let's just not even try to figure it out. Let's. Yeah. She says like, don't get expelled. Like the, she says it. So like, Oh, this is so interesting. Oh, we should look into this. Oh, never mind. <laughs> It'll draw so much attention to us, which doesn't matter because we know, I think that right after, right during the scene at the end, um, she says, we got to go figure out where to put this, referring to the book. Of so stuff. we got to get rid of the evidence, get our story straight and move on. <laughs> so they bury the book in 
the grounds, which we find out because the scene we left off on was with um, Alice and Quentin finding Penny and Katie. And then Professor Sutherland was like, ah, everybody I was just looking for. How great that you're all together. Here, I found this book. Let's talk. Love um, it. Before we get to their interrogation. Oh, wait, no, just kidding. We go right to the interrogation. Um, she says there's summoning residue on the book. I love in magic worlds when they talk about like residue being left behind. Mm. I don't know why I think that's so uh, special and like smart of world building where like <sighs> magic is inherently something that you have to create. Um, like you are, whether you're like taking something from somewhere else in the sense of, I don't know if this is a real world, but in the Buffy universe is transportification. Um, you're like replacing one thing with another, um, or whether you're like inherently creating something from scratch, like these things can be left behind and they have identity markers to them and they have like histories to them like that book has lots of residue she says on it but specifically there's a summoning spell of residue on it um which is why she like knows that this was relevant to them uh but i i just oh, i don't know there's something so endearing to me about that that those things can be like studied like people leave traces and those traces can be understood and processed and reflected on and studied i love that I have something I want to say about that, but I want to tie it to something that happens with Julia. So remind me and I'll say it. <laughs> I will do my best. <laughs> um, so they're in the, they each have their little cut scenes. Um, love Katie and her just like, what even language is this? Ew. <laughs> no, uh, this is interrogation the episode. If we... <laughs> True, true. The source of magic is actually interrogation. We lied. <laughs> it's not pain. It's interrogation. <laughs> Good old-fashioned questioning. Um, yeah, so they, like, rapid-fire through Alice, Katie, and Q. Yeah. Only to land on Penny. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. I have questions about it. I... <sighs> Like, why he decided to sell out Q. Was it, and I know it comes up later where he, you know, Penny is like, I told the, I told the truth. Quentin says, not all of it. He goes, what am I, a fool? <laughs> so it's, it's frustrating to me because I'm like, what is that? Mm. I don't, I don't think Penny and Q are friends, but like, was it fear-based? And also if Penny was leaving, like, what did it matter? Why would he sell? Why would he? Why would he make this choice? I also think it's very interesting that he protected Alice. No, no, no. I have thoughts on this. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. I have thoughts on this too, and I want to hear yours. I I love that there's um, and I don't I don't want to get too deep into it, but there's this weird con connection and respect that Penny shows Alice. Like he shows her deference straight from the get, um, and I find it so that it's. We don't, we're going to not find out more about that in this episode, but I think it's very strange and interesting um, from the start. They're just immediately like, I'm cool with that human. <laughs> and it's, Penny's not cool with people, but he's immediately cool with Alice and immediately is like, I'm going to protect her. So he saves Katie. We get that really contrived line from Q. Um, and I wonder, again, going back to this, 
do you think it's because the beast told Q to, or told Penny to, um, you know, throw Q under the bus or did, was Penny just like, why the fuck did that guy know Quentin's name? Yeah. And like come for Quentin and try to kill Quentin. Right. Like, I don't trust that. So, so two things. I think it's like, I think we're, we're in basic Penny is a guy's guy and he's like, save the girlfriend, save the other hot woman who was good at magic. Those are his priorities, right? And he he blows Alice a kiss. So it's very like, hey. Rue, he does right. blow Alice right. a kiss. So I think it's definitely like, you're good at magic and also you're hot. So I'm going to save you. And then Q. Oh my gosh, like, I totally forgot about that little air smooch yeah. he does. And so, and then with Q, he probably is like, this guy's useless and the beast clearly wants him. So if he gets his mind wiped, that would be best for everyone because he won't be around where the magic is happening for the beast to come again. He won't be around me. Then the, like that, he I actually think what Penny is doing is like ironically protecting Q in a way. He's like, I'm going to get you out of the radar of this guy that is in my head. Um, and I think that knowing what we know about Penny as a character in the rest of the season, that kind of makes sense, kind of lines up. Um, but he just seems like a jerk. He just seems like a jerk in, in this scene. Uh, He's a very protective jerk, though. He's yeah. very protective. Like, that is... That is pennies to the core. You're right. It bothered me because I'm like, why are you not also protective of Q? But you're you're right. In a way, he is. In a way, like, because I forgot that he knew the consequence would be mind wiping and not just like kind of getting kicked out and like fuck all else. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. So, so that's oh, why. On this. Yeah. So that's why this scene is so fun for me because it's like it's it's so much more than him just like like putting it all on Q. And then Q says that line, which feels, and I have it written down, it feels like an aside in Shakespeare because I don't think anyone hears him say it. He says, "Is what's the line? There's nothing I can do to stop. A comet from like actively crashing to, into the earth is there. Yeah, oh, the, yes, yeah. There's nothing I can do to stop the comet from crashing into the earth is there. And then the dean, the acting dean makes a face. I went back and I watched it again because I was like, what the hell is happening? And it's just got to be his inner monologue. There's no way he said that out loud. I just, I can't believe it. It definitely felt too silly to say out loud. Um, but I didn't like that because I feel like it was a break from the universe we're working in. Um, I don't know. I love, I love that because Q is this main character who's so bad at being a main character. <laughs> I don't hate that it kind of is an aside. Um, it just feels a little... It just doesn't feel in line with the universe. I, I mean, I, if, let's just say I will like it if there's more asides. I love a breaking of the fourth wall in any capacity normally, um, but it feels, it feels like a break with the universe fit. No, agreed. And I said it's like Shakespeare because even in Shakespeare plays, I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, yeah. it's such a, it's jarring. True. Um, all right, well, moving on. So... We're in the next scene is him talking to 
What's her name again? Professor Sunderland. Sunderland. Right? That's the next scene? No, I don't think we actually see their conversation. We see Quentin uh, carrying his books. Right. I'm skipping around because I forgot that there's a weird order of events. And you could see why logically I would assume that he would talk to her and then the Elliot scene would happen, but that's not what happens. So yes, this next scene is my favorite scene of the episode. Um, I thought it would be. Of course. uh, Elliot intercepts Q, returning books to the library. How cute. (laughs) (laughs) Why doesn't he just carry his books? Why would he have to return it? They're expelling him. Wouldn't they just collect the books from his like dorm room? It's such a weird thing. Q is a nerd. He would definitely just be like, I'm just going to pack this all up. But I do think in the greater sense, it is very weird. Like, it's weird that he gets to, like, sleep there another night. Um, But I guess the whole premise of it is uh, what Q says on the payphone in the next scene. (laughs) The local mind wipe guy died, so they have to bring in a specialist. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of, like... um... A lot of things that happen in this show that I know are just because of the plot. They're like, we have to get to this part somehow. And it's funny when they happen because they make them entertaining like this. Yes. They're like, we're going to, we're going to, we need a reason for Elliot and Q to talk. So what would Q be doing? Oh. And we like need an excuse for like time to pass so that uh, Quentin can steal the Emerson's alloy from yep. Penny. That's like the big one is that if if he and uh, Q didn't sleep in the same room, he wouldn't have been able to take that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the local mind wipe di- guy died, so they have to bring him a specialist. Um, I love the way Elliot reacts to this. He, he like he keeps kind of like a straight face and says nothing. But like in my head, like you can see him kind of making like a face um, internally. And he's just like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I know uh, it's, you're not helping. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, the only thing I know about them is that they're good. <laughs> <laughs> and he says uh, it in such a way that I was like, good in what way? oh true i mean anything hale appleman says is just the double entendre of that man's voice alone is yeah a lot i have very big feelings about hale appleman (laughs) (laughs) um in general but also he just he just knocks it out of the park in every aspect of this role um but in the scene it's particularly good i Right off the bat, I mean, last episode, obviously, right off the bat, enjoyed Elliot, but I'm loving the more and more we see about him here. Like, he, again, does a lot to, like, not have the conversation get serious and then allows it to. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he 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 says he bonds fast, and I, I appreciate oh, that. My heart? <laughs> he clearly cares so much already, and we love it. <laughs> Well, I'm um, fast and time is an illusion. I really need to know Elliot's zodiac sign right at this moment. When this happened, I was like, oh, water sign? Um. <laughs> I, I have several friends um, who, I mean, 
who there's not a single person in my friend group who isn't into astrology, but one of the things I love to do with people is uh, to sit and give everybody in the show, not only a sign like their big three, but also give you your big three based on the characters. <laughs> so right now uh, my friend and I are actually texting like, who are your big three and new girl characters? And I told her coach was in her big three and she got so mad at me. <laughs> um, so, you know, like I'm a, in the, in this show, like an example would be like, I'm a Quentin Sun and, Moon and an Elliot rising. <laughs> I'm going to need some time to think about that, but yeah. That's not actually my chart. I think it's pretty close to I think it, maybe... but just, just an example of what I do, but yes, I agree. Um, I mean, Elo definitely, Elo, <laughs> Elliot is definitely a Leo rising. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then the whole serious, not serious, or not serious, serious conversation is um, like bookended with, uh, well, you know, you'll just be a depressed super nerd and I'll go and seduce you and then fill your life with whimsy. No, 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 no. We have to, All right, you read, have it, to read it, read it. <laughs> How about I find you? I don't say magic is real, but I do seduce you. And so lift your spirits. That life retains its sparkle for decades. Uh, you know, people say, people text you up and Elliot is out here suggesting that he would like, you know, bring sparkle to your life. I can't, I can't with him. Um, I also, I love that Q, his expression does not change at all. He has the most fan face. He takes a beat, says nothing. And then it's just like, that would be nice. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know there's so many good characters, not in the magic, like there's other characters in the fictional world where you get to watch like the, the bi panic or the gay panic. There's just nothing. There's no panic. Is over him. Well, we don't know. There might be internal panic. Uh, but <laughs> in general, Q does a lot of outward panicking, yes. and here he does not. He just very straight face. It's like, well, if that has to be my fate, that sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Ralph is so intentional with every like acting, like his face, his body his voice, he's very specific about how he plays this character. And that is also a choice, which I love. And you know, everything that uh, Jason Ralph does is a choice. Absolutely. So we're going to keep like seeing these things, but I forgot, you know, upon rewatching it, how casually Elliot is like this the whole time. Like it's immediate. Um, But again, this, this brings up the stakes for Q. Like, how do I if I go back out there, I'm the depressed super nerd. Um, yeah. Like, how can I go back? Nobody would rather not know about magic. Uh, but it's, it's nice. I appreciate the way Elliot shows his care for Q in these moments in both the funny ways and like the very like hard real ones. It's um before we move on, it's really nice because it's a direct comparison to Julia, who was very much like, the things that are childish that I think you need to move on from, like, let's get a move on, be an adult, get over it, whatever it is you're feeling. And Elliot and Q are connecting in a way that is very, like, set 
in the real feelings and the real, I think, depression and anxiety, both of them share. They're obviously processing them in very different ways, but Elliot is very present and it would be so, so, so sad for Q to lose a friend like that because he clearly- Absolutely, yeah. Elliot is able to meet him where he's at and that's a big deal. Uh, I'm just so soft for it. Okay, we can keep moving on. We don't have to talk about this the whole time. But the next part juxtaposes it with his relationship with Julia. He's he's calling her on the payphone, Ugh. and it's it's so sad. Uh, he's like, I, I I don't quite agree with the first part of it. He's like, mm-hmm. I didn't know what it would be like for you to be like cut off when now that's like a very real thing about to happen to him. The tables are spinning. The tables are spinning. Like every episode, every like 20 minutes, they're just like, wow, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And and also one other funny little point, the C plot that is getting no screen time on this episode is that Q has lost his phone and no one knows where it is. (laughs) Where is it? And why do they have payphones on a magical campus? In what? 2016. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, the whole payphone plot is very funny. So so this is a shitty voice message. Um that he chooses not to send, which is which is good but also bad because it means he's giving up. Um I do like that it is in intercut with the scene with Julia and the meat locker. Oh yeah. We have this moment where Q is is um basically saying I know I fucked you over but I need you to help me so I don't have to live through what they did to you mm-hmm. um and it's bad and he's you know if you remember why it didn't work for you I would like to know that now because I need you to remind me that magic is real right at that point I need you to remind me when magic is real is when Julia succeeds in the temporary warmth spell she had cut the fat out of the body. And when Kisa's magic is real, she casts a spell and it works. You see the, the smoke come up and they start rubbing it all over themselves. And it's, it's a lovely little moment. Um, it's a rough one though, because like right as he is losing it, she's getting it. Yeah. Um, Olivia, you're able to take such a scene and pull out such like poignant thoughts. And all I could think was that's just chicken. That's just raw chicken the whole time. And (laughs) anything like that pulls me out of it immediately. I'm like, oh my God, they couldn't get anything else. Listen, it's episode two. Although they they probably just spent way too much on the marketing. (laughs) Oh my goodness. No, genuinely, uh, I was not bothered by the chicken. I don't know what the inside of a body looks like, yeah. especially the fatty part of the skin. Yeah. I guess of the epidermis. Um, I do know that there's like, what is it, fascia, the like thick underlayer of like the last part that you have to like cut into Ooh. is kind of like a white, thicker. I watch a lot of Grey's Anatomy in my yeah, I, I don't. Um, so it didn't bother me too much. It definitely was like a chicken cutlet, but it didn't, it, it wasn't too dramatic <laughs> to me. I was definitely more upset with, uh, with like 
cue getting cut off and then erasing the message where he's just like, without break bells, I'm lost and you're not, you can't help and I can't help you. And it's just click. It was a good choice not to send that message. It was a good choice not to send that message. He definitely did not need to put any of that on Julia. That would have been absolutely effed up. Yeah. Um, But it does suck because you're like, oh no. Like Q realizes it's over. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Um, And, you know, he has hit the point in the story where the protagonist has uh, not only hit a point of no return, but has gone to the dark place. And Mm -hmm. he fucking tries to fight penny and it's absolutely knocked the fuck out <laughs> by his own magic right like that's even before that he pushes penny and penny wastes no time and just clocks him yeah well and also it's funny because they show this like quick shot of what katie did the battle magic and they're suggesting that just based on that alone of what he witnessed he is able to like mimic that and also recreate that spell. Insane to me. I I don't believe it. I'm not gonna say. Ner- I'm not gonna say. I was about to say. I'm not gonna say. Nerd has photographic memory. Um, <laughs> Quinn doesn't have a photographic memory, but he is a nerd. He is able to like recollect things really well. I yeah. liked that moment because like we're in his POV. This is him having this memory. Um, normally I would say, obviously if he just like did the thing, it wouldn't work, but because right. he's in this super heightened state of emotion, I will give it to them. You know what? That's, that's actually probably like, there's spot so on. much intention and yeah. recklessness behind that spell that I, I, I give it, I give it to them. I think you've convinced me. Thank you. Okay. That's it. That's the episode. No, um, <laughs> we're just going <laughs> to argue. Um, all right. Yeah. So that doesn't go well at all. And, uh, not to bring everything back to uh, Harry Potter, but it is a very, another McGonagall moment where she shows up and she's like, you again. Um, yes. I mean, I guess it's a trope. We Why is it you always these three? <laughs> um, I agree. I mean, also him like flying through the air, I felt like was very, uh, Harry Potter um also like the sad sad music playing as <laughs> Quinn's theme is just so sad yeah um as he flies through the air um Sunderland breaks it up I don't know why there's like this moment where like I like that Penny has a line of like this being like Penny is this stupid macho bully I, not stupid, I shouldn't say that. But he's like this tropey ma- macho bully. Mm-hmm. But he's like, Quentin, what the fuck? Like, why are you, but like, he's not, he's not hitting without being hit first. Yeah. Um, he tries multiple times to walk away from Quentin. And like, when um, Sutherland comes out, she's like, who did this? He's like, this maniac. He's like, <laughs> who the fuck would do that? Like, I don't get it. I mean, this is, this is Penny, like, protecting Q again right like he's like you don't want to fight me and Q was like yes I do and it's yeah. just silly you know and he tries to like knock him out so he I mean Penny tries to knock Q out so he doesn't have to deal with it and like so he doesn't actually harm Quentin it's very uh yeah I love I have feelings about Penny and Quentin but I will keep them to myself for now they're very confusing <laughs> yeah. um 
So she sends them to the infirmary. Before we get the infirmary scene, we go back to the meat locker. I can't wait to be right. out of this meat locker. Uh, um, uh, so they find out there was no spell locking them in there. It was just a regular locked door. And so they had to unscrew it with scissors. I love Julia pissed off. Pissed off Julia quality. <laughs> I'm yeah. done trying to prove myself to you. Um, <laughs> scissors make a shitty screwdriver. And Pete's, Pete's like response to this, I also love. And it does feel like, it does feel like, um, <clears throat> kind of like the thesis of the episode right where he's like not everything is solved by magic yes I agree I was going to say that as well that's the thesis of this episode like there's a lot of big things that could have been like you know magic is isn't um fun it's pain like pain magic yeah. pain there's also uh the line of like why would you ever trust anyone that's a big one, but I, I a hundred percent agree. The thesis of this episode is not everything can be solved by magic. And it also, this is what I wanted to bring up a little bit earlier is that there's that, that fun, you know, element where they, they reveal that magic leaves traces on all of these objects and that it is like this energy that exists and, you know, like energy is neither created nor destroyed, blah, blah, blah. Um, Mm -hmm. And I feel like magic is very practical in that way where it's like, you can't just do magic and people aren't going to know about it in the same way. It's like this, the hedge witches are like, sometimes you just got to get your hands dirty. And they feel like this, like same thing where it's like, watch what you're doing. And also think about like, is there another way to be doing it? And I don't, I don't know why those two things feel connected to me, but it's like this, um, ingenuity that is involved in the like practical common sense that is involved with magic like you have to come into this world knowing things already you can't just go in and be like oh I know all of this stuff about magic already and that's enough like you also have to be like street smart and maybe some book smart as well which is interesting yeah it's good it's important and it's the tables really turn in this moment with Marina um Mm. and and with pete you weren't trying to prove yourself to me you're trying to prove yourself to me who are you <laughs> top bitch in new york for starters <laughs> um i like all the things that she calls julia were like the things that julia was fighting for before they wiped her memory yeah. like smart passionate question things Mm-hmm. Julia says, how could I ever trust you? Marina says, why would you ever trust anyone? Um, but the real thing that pulls Julia in after all of this is that Marina says she has a connection to break bills and Julia is like frothing in the mouth. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, let's go get you a drink. <laughs> um, but that's that was the thing that like pushed her over the edge to not, not trust these people, definitely not trust these people, but to uh, ally herself with them. Well, and even at the top of the meat locker scene, she goes, this isn't like, we're not stuck. It's a hazing ritual. You know, like she knew what she was doing. So it's like, yeah. the, she's saying, oh, how can I trust you? But I think she's lying there too. I think she knows exactly what she's getting herself into. 
in terms of how these people operate. She's just met them, but she's like, okay, this is not break bills. So it's probably the second they get to the warehouse, she goes, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like she still goes in. She doesn't say, JK, I'm out. Yeah. I'm not walking over the dead rat. I'm going to go. I have been in this escape room before. I remember. Um, <laughs> it really t- is a testament to like Julia's hmm, scrappy attitude, you know, despite being a, a Yale kid, she's very much determined and. Her determination is one of her most defining traits, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We get to the infirmary after that. Uh, we already talked about Penny being obnoxiously cocky with absolutely uh, nothing to back that up. And uh, we find out that healing battle magic spells hurts like hell. Mm. Um, that's pretty much all I have in that scene. Uh, the only important factor is that scene is that Quentin finds out what the Emerson's alloy is. Yeah, which he's going to steal later. Happens after the scene in the car with Marina and Pete, where we see Marina in all her um, head bitch fashion glory. Uh, And we find out that she is connected to Katie and that Katie is stealing from her or for her. Mm -hmm. And we don't know why. Uh, We just know that for whatever reason, Marina is generous with her. That was a that was a line. Oof! It's so it's such a fun scene to see her all like sweaty and icy and stuff in the in those grubby clothes, and then like full on big earrings, like hair up, everything. And I'm generous with you. So considerate. You're so good. I love it. She's so put together and like very kind of. I don't want to say classy classic witch because she's like wearing harness but like um classic witch in that there's like the all these like harsh angles to mm-hmm. her clothing and her jewelry and even her hair i love 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 the way that they characterize marina through her clothing choices alone especially juxtaposed with like useless flannel and beanie marina in the meat locker <laughs> I I also like the energy that's coming out of this B plot because, and I'm saying B because it's literally has less time than the A plot, even though I think I agree, Julia and Q at this point are like co-protagonists. I love how Marina is such a big energy when we learn who she is. And in the time that we see that, I still had time to go. She has no clue what just happened at break bills, though. And she has no idea what is going to happen. She's like, here's my big plot and here's everything I'm going to do. And I'm like, small potatoes. And, and that is uh, my favorite thing when there's like a main villain or someone with villainous energy that comes out of the woodwork and you're like, oh, it's going to be them. And then you're like, oh, remember the big bad just around the corner. And that is just so chaotic and fun and I love it it's good it's good I can't wait to see what else we get from Marina (sighs) even though I know it's gonna be bad (laughs) um it's exciting and I, I I'm so curious about the drama between Katie and Marina like they they plant this little seed here and I'm like oh my gosh what the hell happened like Obviously, we know Katie 
knows battle magic. Obviously, we know she knew about magic before Break Bells, but like this line, they have history. You're a sweet girl, Katie. You're a heartless bitch. I'm generous with you, considering. No, she says consider it. Is it oh, considering it or consider it? I thought it was considering. Ooh. We don't know what she was considering, but like clearly something happened that mm-hmm. allowed Marina to blackmail Katie into stealing stuff from break bells for her. Because because it's very clear that Katie's not happy with this arrangement. Like, it's not like, ooh, Katie's working for the dark side. That's the real reason she's at break bells. It's some, it's something that Katie doesn't, Katie's not happy. Yeah. I do like that Katie also tries to like give an explanation why one of the main items she asked for is missing. Yeah. This guy, this guy got it. Like, uh, you know, love it. Love it. Um, it's good. You, cause you know, that's just like another facet of like, you know, that Katie doesn't care about what she's doing. She's just doing it because she has to, but she wouldn't just give anybody that. Oh, it puts her at risk. Yeah, exactly. She's she wouldn't just risk herself. And like, this is where we get Katie's vulnerability and it's important. So the next scene is Q stealing the alloy. Yeah, that's that's a quick. Um, and then we get to, I don't know if it's the dean's office or Sunderland's office, but we get to the office. Q shows up. And who is there but the paramedic, hey. who we are now going to call Eliza, thankfully, um, who says that she is the freelancer and my Dwight specialist. <laughs> I... How do you feel about that reveal? Uh, this whole scene is a lot. It's confusing. I don't think it's fair. Like, it's 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 going to be hard to talk about this because I have a lot of context that I can't talk about just given having watched the show. Watching it again, <laughs> I'm like, oh, right. A lot of things are connecting. But if I'm watching this for the first time... This scene doesn't make any sense. It's hard. So let's take it at face value. I do a lot of like writing things down. Before they get super into it, Q asks about um, about the book, about the manuscript. Why, why she gave the book to him, yeah. Um, and he, she was like, I thought you'd appreciate it. And he was like, well, I lost it. And she's like, guess I was wrong. And he's like, no, I did appreciate it i just wanted to read it but it disappeared and she says things with fillery are funny that way oh is fillery real she says why even ask if you'll forget again Mm. and before i move on to the next line i as like you know a first time reader of this scene i say forget again because she's gonna wipe his memory or is that have like another me like forget again because he lost it or forget again in the sense that he kept trying to push Fillory out of his life, like push his childhood away, forget his childhood to become an adult. Oh, so layered. Okay. Next line. The books always felt realer than anything. She says, then it's real. Says that's not a real answer. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, all of the things we talked about in the last episode with the theme running through of what's real and what's not, what's for children and what's for adults mm-hmm. has been threaded throughout this episode again, right up to this kind of penultimate scene. And then she says that she's pleased that he's a better liar than she expected. Um, this whole, like... <laughs> Uh, this whole moment here that comes after just reminds me of like Darcy's first proposal to Jane in Pride and Prejudice, where she's just like, I'm so pleased with you, Quentin. You're not exceptional. You're not that great at magic. You're pretty slow, but I'm so happy with you. It's like, what is happening? Uh, you're so eager to belong that you forget why you're here. Why am I here? You dreamed of it fillery before the attack like a warning how did you know because i've dreamed of it too and i've looked into that beast's eyes it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot so she's dreamed of it too she's dreaming of fillery we've got mostly a confirmation that fillery is real but not for sure and then she asks him if he believes in destiny he's like yes and she's like that shit's crap don't believe in that there are no born heroes. No born heroes. She can't tell why the beast picked him. And he's like, who are you? And she says, just another inadequate magician who has lost people like you will do. So she's met the beast, whether in dream or in person, whether rather in just dream or in person, we don't know. But like the fact that she brings up she's somebody who's lost people makes me think that she has fought this dude before. Yep. And it's interesting because I think that her identification that Q is kind of meaningless in this situation, that there's no reason that the beast would pick him means that she has some sort of insight into the beast choices and that she thinks that there is some rationale and that the choice of Q makes no sense that he doesn't fit into the puzzle of what she's put together so far on the information that she has on him. Absolutely. And she definitely doesn't fit into the puzzle of what we know so far. So she just tells him that she's not taking his memory today, that she'll have them put him on probation and they'll like trust her because they love her or whatever. Uh, She says, don't make me regret it. Don't hop back on the garden path like some little lemming or I'll erase everything entirely and start you over for your own good. Everything's connected. Don't overthink it. That line should have been a fourth wall break (laughs) going directly to us. (laughs) Too bad. We're going to do it anyways. (laughs) To the camera like Jim out in the office. Uh, Everything's connected. Don't overthink it. I feel like there's so many callbacks to Jane here. And I don't know if that's because she's dreaming of Jane mm-hmm. or because she just, like she said, everything's connected or what, but like this scene is so laden with so many layers of meaning and clues and we're not meant to understand them all. And it's frustrating. It's part of what makes the show magical though. Like how are we, we're two episodes in we there's so much we don't know and that we're aware we don't know like everything with fog and this woman like there's so we know there's other stuff going on that we don't know about Mm -hmm. which should be enough reason for me as a reader to be like no (laughs) like this is like I 
I should not be as immersed in this as I am with while I have this many unanswered questions. Yeah. And yet I'm absolutely immersed in this. I think the other thing about the the cadence of the show is that it does pay off some of those questions pretty regularly. So you're getting new information and then there's another question and you're getting new information. There's another question. So it kind of keeps you on like a, like a path of like, Hey, like I'm going to give you something, but I have to, you have to keep watching to figure And that's just storytelling, but they're doing a good job of, of they do a good job of it for having this be episode two. Yeah. Like, I feel like the amount they're withholding this early i would expect maybe like episode episode five episode seven mm-hmm. but we're, we started off this way right off the bat and i'm s- still invested in it well, and that also play, it's like it's like double layered right because we're <clears throat> the exposition of the entire world would normally and the big big problems would normally happen mid-season and you would say okay this is where i would expect this like big bad reveal they do it immediately and it it plays into whatever the garden path thing is in q's journey she's saying knock it off stop doing this thing that everyone is telling you you're supposed to do get to the real shit and that is what these episodes are doing the pacing is going so fast because it's like we have to get to the real stuff because we don't have time to sit around and do the oh and and then we go to class and then we do this and we're making making friends and no we have no time for that everything everything is accelerated and it's a really fun energy also just yeah uh, definitely not critiquing it i just think oh, it's no, yeah yeah marvelously i like i'm saying normally i feel like i wouldn't be able to get down with that and immerse myself in it like that would that would be too hard for me to like just right off the bat but i think they do it so so well yeah agreed i also think that there's a really fun element to this scene in the interaction where he is finally talking to someone who's taking his take on magic for real uh Every, like he's really having a good connection with Elliot, but he's not talking about Fillory with Elliot. And this woman is kind of um, validating all of those feelings that he has in a way that no one else we've seen is doing, um, which has to feel kind of like extremely great for Q. Yeah, but also strange, like this person who just kind of keeps popping up not like one of his peers is the person who has the most room for that and is giving him the most space for that. And she just said that he was like kind of stupid and meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We're in, I think we're following Marina camera wise and they go into this shop looking place. It's definitely a bodega. <laughs> yeah. It's like a very pared down bodega, but so she goes, she goes in, this guy gives like a knowing look and it's like, mm, what is this? Oh, right. And there's also a really fun little sticker on the front that is one of the tattoos, Yeah, uh, which is fun. So it's like, oh, there's like a network of hedge witches in mm-hmm. New York. Love it. Yeah. And in the back. Yep. Buzzes her in. She like takes like a piece of fruit or something and goes to the back. And uh, Julia is getting her first tattoo. Yes. Uh, one of many, they say. And Marina's like dolled up in her like fucking 
leather baddie energy. <laughs> um, Pete is in a suit. I think this is a really kind of in the same way that like Hugh and Julia are like parallel protagonists right now. I love the juxtaposition of Margot and Elliot being like Q and Alice's parents and like Pete and Marina oh, here. Oh my God. Because <laughs> they're just like, they're just watching her and they're like so proud. They're like making eye contact and having their little snack and they're super dressed up. And, uh, it's so funny. I think that's so funny. Um, but I, I love how scared and stressed Julia looks here. She, she likes half smiles at them, sips her beer, but she's just avoiding their eye contact completely. Mm. Um, she's a guilty baby. We have to come back to this because I have some things uh, to say about this in regards to another character, but the intro to these characters for Julia has to be jarring considering what she knows about break bills. So yeah, that's all I'm going to say on that. But, and then, and then we go to God, like one of the saddest scenes ever. Liza is either it's she's got to still be at break bills right is that clear i don't think it's clear but i i mean i would assume she like where where she they're at break bills yeah it's, it's not like, clear but they're at break bills they're in some private ward in the infirmary yep and we see fog and he's so angry i'm i'm used to that but it's so <laughs> it's just a very desperate kind of angry that is especially hard to watch like he's in pain for a number of reasons he's in pain but he's also incapacitated from this fight and that's big and he's and he you know says to Liza like you if this is your problem the, and that line is so oh it seems like he until this point is maybe implying that he was helping her with her problem and then this is what the result is and he's like you've gotta this is your problem to solve this is not my problem for sure for sure and i i think you can tell liza feels pretty bad about that oh my gosh absolutely she's so upset she says it's like like it's very clear she's tried to kill the beast before because he says this is your problem find a way back find the beast and kill him she's like don't you think if I could, I would, and then we would be having drinks and you wouldn't be in this hospital bed. Um, he's so distraught. He's so upset. Like not, he's, he's incapacitated from the fight. Like obviously he can't physically cast spells right now, but he's also incapacitated from the sense that he's a teacher and he can't help prepare Quentin and Penny and all of the kids. Like, that is a just as equally a big thing for him right now. Well, he, he calls out, he says, Quentin and Penny are not built for this, mm -hmm. which is really fun because I think if you're watching the show and you're like, okay, A plot, Quentin, B plot, Julia. And these two big characters that we've seen from the beginning of episode one are talking about Quentin and Penny, Julia who? And also Alice who? Yeah. Or or is Alice ready? Oh, yeah. That's a fair point. Mm-hmm. But I like that, like, in case you didn't think, Penny, you as, like, the viewer, uh, yes. who interchangeably, by the way, audience, I'm going to use 
viewer and reader interchangeably. Yeah. Um, no confusion there. Uh, so we, as the readers of the scene, like if we didn't think Penny was a contender, like Penny's a contender. Yep. Penny's important. Yep. Even though he's not named for most of episode one. Uh, <laughs> they were like, Redcon, quick, he's a main character. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just hard to watch. Like, it's really upsetting. And I think that, like, we're not really aware of the gravity of the situation other than the fact that a professor is dead and Dean Fogg is extremely maimed, disabled from this, from this, uh, this battle. We're not aware of the history we just know that there is history. Yep. And that's what, it doesn't give us gravity, but it gives us ominous. Mm-hmm. And then it's like hanging over them. The, the hospital or the infirmary room is really dark. And then we get like a very sweet scene to wrap up the episode. And this is what I mean. Like the tables are turning. Remember, I, I do think I like the, I like the last part of the, that scene where he says all we can, actually, I didn't write down who said what, but I'm pretty sure it's Fog. He says, all we can do is make them magicians. And she says, that's not enough. Oh, that's not enough. I know. Because uh. <laughs> then what does that leave us with? Oh, and it's so interesting that she was like, destiny is bullshit, right? Like, because that seems like they're working up against something that I think any other fantasy story would be like, this is your destiny and you are the hero. And she's like, this is not any of that. It's all random. So how do you plan to fight against randomness? You know, you can't make them magicians. And then we get like a really heartfelt scene of Elliot and Margot barbecuing laughing in the rain they're so just like in terms of referring to them as parents they're just like affluent little boomers right there. <laughs> <laughs> just like grilling and enjoying their privilege and their cocktails and being silly um and they i i there's so much to unpack in this little moment as well i think uh, Q approaches and he kind of lingers on the outskirts watching them. He gets noticed by them oh. and they welcome him back. But it's such a big thing that he gets noticed. He doesn't insert himself because again, this is Q belonging. Yeah, People see him and all he wants is to be seen. And he like, I I can't speak for everyone, but I've had so many moments where it's like you see you're watching and you're observing and you're wallflowering and you just you just want to be called in mm -hmm. and you don't think it's going to happen. But it happens here and it's so lovely. Um, yeah. And we get the really funny line. I think it's really funny. It's like, it's not like we have all day. OK, we have all day. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a really nice little scene. And like, I think despite everything that we know happened with Margot and Alice, like there's still like this very warmness around Elliot and Margot because they're very familiar with each other. They're very intimate with one another and they are walls down around Q, which is very interesting. Um, and we don't see Margot and Q really interact. Like they, we don't see them have much dialogue in, in these two episodes. Yeah. Um, other than like exposition-y dialogue. But the warmth of Margot and Elliot is extended to Q in the sense that like Margot calls Q over too. Like her, I don't know if it's warmth by 
proxy of Elliot or if they just genuinely have a thing and it's just it's it's nice and that's the episode that's the episode what was your favorite line what's your favorite line uh I had two well I had three um I I love the Avada Kedavra moment (laughs) I think it's so charming uh I assumed you would pick the Elliot offering to seduce Glenn. <laughs> I think I think that one's a strong contender, but I also, and we didn't talk about this, but I do want to highlight it here. So I'm going to call it my favorite line. I loved when Julia said to Marina, I'm not interested in your personal issues. Oh, so good. <laughs> and then knowing what we know now that she knows who Marina is, mm, she's going to feel awkward about that forever. I love it. So dismissive. And such a big regret of hers, I'm sure. So that was a little thing. I was just like, ooh, that's great. It was a good one. That was a good one. I didn't I didn't even know. That line didn't stand out to me. So I love that you picked it. It's funny because I assumed you would pick an Elliot line. So I picked a Julia line. And that's, <laughs> that's a Julia. Uh, my favorite line was from Julia where she goes, dead, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it was already dead before. So <laughs> because I think that is, a very accurate reaction <laughs> to processing that moment. And then it's not because he comes back to life to speak as Pete. So ugh, there's just, there's just no end to the hedge, which is being creepy as fuck. I know we both have gayest moment in our notes. I'm, I yeah. think I'm going to rename this section uh, to magic is the only queer coding I need. <laughs> <laughs> so what's so your... What's your oh. moment falls into that category? <laughs> oh my god! I mean, is there any scene other than put the crown on the on Q's reaction in that scene? That was the that's thing. Right. that would be nice. Um, <laughs> that's nice. Thank you. <laughs> and then, do you have a spellbound moment? Anything that had you just like, oof, wow, magical? The body um, and Julia and that whole interaction. Even though it was the B plot and it was frustrating, I really like Julia making the choices to, to like commit and develop her character and like just being very calculated was was very good to watch. Yeah. That scene in particular, I watched this episode at like probably 1130 at night. That scene is terrifying. He like stand, he sits up and he's in the background of the shot. Mm. Yeah. Either that or the wind chime AV room. <laughs> I mean, okay. Well, we have to, as we go along in this in this little podcast of ours, I think we maybe need to define what spellbound in this category means, because then I might have to just say the lack of of uh, Q having a phone. So, will he have a phone in the next episode? We'll never know. Like, we have to wait and see. Um, that is such a mystery to me. That's it. Any any? I don't know. Is is there anything lingering that you want to share? I think the only thing we need to say is that it's the episode title, The Source of Magic, feels inaccurate. <laughs> the interrogation is what you want to call yeah, it. Yeah, it should be like, they get interrogated. Oh, also, I do want to call out, because this will be a good thread for our next episode. If you're watching The Magicians, and we'll, I think we'll have to talk about this in the future, pay attention to the episode descriptions. They get more and more nonsensical as we go on. True, true. So this was, I will say, the last normal one we'll have for a while. Um, They're really great at not spoiling the episode, 
they will pick a random ass thing to talk about in the description. And it is one of my favorite things about the show. Definitely. I agree with that. Um, yeah, it's it, it, when I was cut off from watching the shows, it was always interesting to go and read the uh, episode description and be like, I can't predict what's happening in the season at all. Not a spoiler because you can't possibly know what it means, but I'm pretty sure there's a description that says Margot eats a burrito. And that's in the description. My gosh, is it Margot? I was going to say, is it Josh eats a burrito? That's the one that stands out to me. I don't know. Oh, maybe. See, now it doesn't even matter because it's not even a plot point and you know it. Yeah. Somebody so. eats a burrito. <laughs> I will say I'm very curious to see what the next episode holds. I I feel like these two episodes are part of a larger arc like I don't feel like I watched two complete episodes I feel like I we just completed act one of mm-hmm. a much larger composition and we are going to be moving into a second act and I don't know how many episodes that will comprise of but I don't and I don't know if it will be like a season long feeling or like just a you know four or five episode feeling but that that's what I'm feeling right now yeah There's no way to know how long it's going to take to get through all of these plots. And just given the way that they are answering and unanswering questions throughout the episodes that we've been through so far, it does not feel like we're going to always get it full clarity and that it's not always going to be in a perfect little, little bow. So it's not a sitcom. It's a sci-fi fantasy sad melancholic comedy um (laughs) drama there's drama but also it's just a lot it's a it's a little bit of everything and that's what's so good about it and that's what's so good about it all right well until next time until next time we're now leaving break bills If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at No Sidekicks Pod on Instagram or send us an email at nosidekickspod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay magical or whatever.